Good morning, everybody. Um, before I start, I'd like someone just to sign uh, terms of agreement for um, you guys as I preach. Just say, don't read it. You never read terms of agreement. It's fine. <laughs> just, it's just a legal thing. Don't worry. Thanks. Um, I'll sign that as well, just to make it binding. Maybe, Jonathan, you can tell me about that at the end. Um, so, I mean, we never really look through terms of agreement anymore, terms and conditions. We scroll down, we tick the box, um, and essentially what we're doing now is saying, here, have a little bit of my privacy in return for an easier use of this website. That's what we do. We do it all the time. And to me, it is the epitome of the fact that we don't really value uh, commitment anymore. We don't value agreements, uh, decisions that we make with one another. So many things are throw away, whether that's saying, oh, let's go for a drink sometime. Yeah, sure. And then it gets, if you've tried to hang out with me recently, you'll know that that's not much of a commitment at all. But also, in a wider point in our culture, you know, we, we don't value things like marriage or, or longevity. Sometimes we can treat church with a slight consumerism because we, we don't commit to things anymore. For the record, I did actually write some uh, terms uh, for listening to this sermon that Jen just signed away. Um, I hereby sign on behalf of King's Church Edinburgh a contract with the preacher Nathaniel Smith in order to establish the preacher-congregation relationship. Uh, we, the congregation, commit to one, laugh in appropriate places at jokes told by the preacher, two, listen attentively and occasionally nod in affirmation of the points being made, and three, respond appropriately to the final points. If and when the occasion calls for it, one or two of the audience have permission to murmur a quietly British amen in response to a particularly good point. <laughs> In return, the preacher, Nathaniel Smith, will commit to one, keeping to a time of 20 minutes for the entirety of his sermon, not including the duration of the scripture reading. It's an important addition to throw in there. And two, remind the congregation of the power of covenantal agreements in a memorable way. The preacher hereby waives responsibility for any accidental heresy he proclaims over the course of his sermon. By signing, you agree on behalf of the congregation to make any theological correction gently. And that's signed. So I don't know how binding that is. Uh, but I'm actually talking about something uh, far more sacred and lasting than the agreements that we kind of treat with almost throwaway indifference every day. You see, I'm talking about covenants, which is a term that perhaps we don't use very much outside of church circles anymore. But it was a pact or a, um, a series of mutual promises made between two parties. And it was, crucially, it was personal and relational. So it's so much more than something uh, merely legal or political, but it's an agreement that two parties made out of a relationship with one another. So um, although these days it's mostly just a religious term, back then covenants were made all the time. So we read about David making a covenant of friendship, with Jonathan. We read about King Solomon making a covenant of trade with King Hiram. Um, so covenants existed as a form of saying, this is, this is something that we are committing to. This is something we are wholehearted in. And, and uh, it is forged in a relationship. And it often was accompanied by a sign, a symbol, or a ritual. So it makes sense that this is how God would often choose to relate to his people through something that is personal and relational, but that also has weight and authority to it. It is a 
It is a promise, a sacred promise that God would make between him and his people. So I want to look at um, the importance of a covenant for Nehemiah in the last of our series on the rebuilding uh, through the book of Nehemiah. And then I want to look at what covenants might mean to us today. So we'll start with the passage, and I'm jumping around a bit, starting at 9 verse 38, and then I'm reading from 10 verse 28 onwards. So at the end of chapter 9, they say, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. And then the rest of the passage goes in some detail about all of the ways that they're going to apportion money uh, to the upkeep of the church and to care for the people uh, who run the church, the priests and the Levites. And they conclude by saying this, we will not neglect the house of God. So you can see how important this is because you look at who is there at the signing of this covenant. So the bit that I skipped out is a long, long list of names of all of the leaders in this city who signed the covenant. But they weren't the only people there. Who else was there? The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands, the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers. This was a city-wide event. After the reading of the scripture that we heard about last time, this was the completion of the the Jerusalem project that Nehemiah had. And he he brought everyone together for the sake of making this covenant. Clearly, this was something sacred and important. And it makes sense because actually, up to this point, there was a long history of God forging covenants with his people throughout the New Testament. And... uh, Large, I mean, there are lots of covenants throughout the Old Testament. You can spot them all over the place. But people largely agree that there are five covenants that form like the spine of uh, the Bible and how God relates to his people covenantally. So I'm going to try and whip through them in just about a minute, actually. So the first major covenant was the one that God made with Noah. We all know it. God says, never again will I destroy the earth in this way? It was a covenant of protection. It was, in spite of the sin, I am going to protect this earth. And the sign was a rainbow. Next, we see God making a covenant with Abraham. This is when God says, if you follow me, I will bless you. And in turn, you will bless the land. I'll bless you, you bless the land. And the condition for that was just follow me. Go where I lead you, and in return, I will give you a nation, and I will bless you, and then your nation will bless the land. 
And the sign that they sealed that with was circumcision, which is why that was so important throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Then God made a covenant with Moses when they're in the desert. This is when he brings down the um, tablets with the, uh, with the um, Ten Commandments on them. And they were kept in the Ark of the Covenant. This was a covenant reinforcing what God said to Abraham, where I'm making you a people to bless the nations. But in this one, he's saying, and you, in return, are going to follow my laws. These laws are good for you. And so he gave them the laws, and they, in return, said, we are going to follow these laws, and we will be set apart as your people. And the signs for that were sacrifice. Sacrifice was um, a part of the atonement that the people made to receive the forgiveness of God, and it was also Sabbath. Sabbath was a sign of that covenant because it was an expression of trust uh, that God was in control. And then also in the Old Testament, God makes a covenant with David. And in this one, he says, David, I am going to build a royal kingdom that will have everlasting consequences. And from your line will come a savior. And there wasn't necessarily a sign for that one, except the fact that there was a king on the throne. Nehemiah's sermon, you may have noticed, is a little bit different. Because actually in this instance, um, that God isn't necessarily saying anything to them. This is just the people coming before God. And there isn't a sign in quite the same way. And that's because they actually already exist within these covenants. God has upheld his part of these covenants. It's the people of God who have let down their side of the bargain. They haven't obeyed the laws that God had given them. Uh, Their kings had been uh, idolatrous. And in return, they'd been exiled, which actually God had said, look, if you don't follow my ways, uh, your people will go into exile. But they've returned from exile. They've rebuilt Jerusalem. And so they're saying, within these covenants that God has faithfully kept, we are recommitting to follow the laws of Moses. So that's why this one is a bit different, why it doesn't count as one of the big five And there's a look at the context of covenants and why this was a sacred moment for Nehemiah. It was a recommitment to following God, to being a people that are set apart, to being a people that walk in his ways and are defined by their relationship with God. It was them saying, look, we've let you down, but here we are. We're back. We're making a a covenant now to follow your ways. What does this have to do with you guys today? Well, you may have noticed I missed a fifth covenant there. And that's the new covenant that we read about in the New Testament. And we knew that this covenant was coming because the prophets in the Old Testament said it was going to come. This is from the book of Jeremiah, a prophet who said, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again. Each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. 
This is the new covenant that was fulfilled through Jesus. We took communion a moment ago. That is the sign of the covenant. That is a way to participate in this new covenant because Jesus, through his death and resurrection, made possible those promises that we just heard about. They made possible the forgiveness of sins. They made possible the law being written on our hearts. And in return, what we offer God, well, we can bring nothing to him, but we say, as part of this new covenant, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to follow your ways. But we have the law written on our hearts instead. So that's what communion was about. It was, it was participation in this new covenant. It was almost like the recommitment that we heard in Nehemiah. And this new covenant brings together all of the other ones that we've heard about. It is the completion of all four of the Old Testament covenants. So like Noah, there is a promise that there will be deliverance from a world of sin. But now it comes with a future hope where God is going to, rather than flood the world and destroy it, he's going to make it new and bring about a new creation. Like Abraham, he's saying, I am going to bless you, and in return, you are going to bless the world, and you will be my people. But this time, it's not one family or one location. It's for everyone. Like Moses, there is a call to obedience and discipleship to God. But now, the law is written on our hearts instead of on tablets of stone, which means that actually our hearts are being shaped to be able to follow those laws, whereas before, they just kept coming up against sin after sin after sin now, We have transformed hearts so we can obey and be disciples of Jesus in ways that was not possible for those under the Mosaic Covenant. And like David, we have a promise of a kingdom. Actually, it was fulfilled when Jesus came. He was the king in the line of David, and he is going to bring about an eternal kingdom that we will get to live in. And actually, we get to participate in bringing that kingdom here on earth. That's why those Old Testament covenants are should shape our understanding of the new covenant today. That's why covenants are so important to us because we are participants in this new one that brings it all together and we get forgiveness of sins and participation in this new kingdom that God is building. And we know that communion was the sign because Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant when he instituted communion, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So, we, when we think about our covenantal relationship with God, we're more like Nehemiah than David or Moses. We're not forging something new. We're recommitting ourselves to full participation in the new covenant. One thing that's important to note about Nehemiah's covenant is the three topics that are covered So broadly, they say, we're going to commit to following the laws of Moses. Um, But they also covered three particular topics that were relevant to the people of God at the time. They were going to reject intermarriage, marriage outside of the people of God, because that had been leading to idolatry. So we said, we're not having any part of that. They committed to scriptural practices of Sabbath and debt forgiveness And they committed to tithing to and supporting the development of the house of God. Remember, they said, we will not neglect the house of God. And I think often we can let down our side of the covenant with God. Now it's done, it's complete, it's finished. 
But sometimes when we don't bring our whole selves, as we heard about with uh, Mary's word earlier, when we don't bring our whole selves, we're actually missing out on the fullness of what covenant life means with God. And we need to have these moments of recommitting to participation in that covenant. And I think that as we've been looking over rebuilding, what that looks like in this new era of the church, this should be the next step for us as the people of God to think what are the areas, because Nehemiah identified these are the three areas that we need to get right. We need to commit to doing this right before God. What are the areas that we need to recommit to God and say, do you know what? I've not been walking in your ways here. I've been missing out on this. My discipleship has been lacking in that area, or even I know I've been sinning in that way. We need to consider the ways that we as individuals, we as King's Church, and we as the church in Scotland need to return to what God is calling us to. I think there's a time perhaps for introspection about aspects of discipleship to Jesus that maybe we're missing out on. That's going to look different for each one of you. You know, we all come here at different parts of our relationship with God, different steps along our journey. But I think there's one theme across many of these covenants and across what Nehemiah was doing with the people of God in this passage. And I felt just a prophetic weight on this point as I was preparing this sermon, which is that what we as a church need to seek in this next season is distinction. We need to be separate from the rest of our culture and not looking like it. Now, some of you might be thinking, look, we as Christians, we're already pretty distinct. Like, you can spot a Christian in a room. You know, we're, we're weird. Christians are a bit strange. Uh, do you ever have that moment where you meet someone you have, for the first time, you're having a conversation with them, and you just drop some terminology in there, and you're like... You're a Christian, and you just know you've got this like Christian sense. You meet them because we we do stand out in the crowd. You know, it's that guy in the corner who's been nursing the same pint for three hours. It's the person who's you know talks in about things like the blood of the lamb in ways that would be concerning to anyone outside of a church building. We're an odd bunch, and if you're here in the room and you're not a Christian, maybe this is your first time in a church. You're thinking, well, thank goodness someone said it because what on earth was all of this day about? You've mentioned the word covenant 20 times in this sermon already, and I didn't know what it was until I came in today. Yes, we're, we're different, and sometimes you can see that difference in people. But distinction is more than that, because the Bible says that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and the calling upon Abraham to, to be a blessing to the world around them, that carries over to us. We inherit that promise. And we inherit that commission as well, which means that the totality of our life needs to come into line with being disciples of Jesus. We need to experience this relationship with God in its fullness and constantly be thinking about ways where we are lacking in that area. And I I think the way that sometimes we fall short is perhaps we want church to look like us. We want to shape our relationship with God, we want to shape our church community into our image rather than to let us be shaped by our church community 
and by scripture and by our relationship with God. Practically, I think this often works out in, you know, we, we, we live in such a, a, a divided society and often we want church to be more like our kind of particular tribe within that division. So perhaps uh, the things that you really value are tradition and family and institutions such as marriage. And those are great things. But maybe that means that you uh, put less stock or are even suspicious of kind of movements towards justice and, uh, and inclusivity and those kind of things. Or perhaps you're on that side and you're all about inclusivity and making everyone feel welcomed and loved. And, you know, you're all about justice and you, you think that church should just be a kind of a campaign for justice. And that's great, but perhaps you're suspicious of those other people that I just mentioned and you don't really care that much about things such as a traditional ethic of uh, sex or gender or marriage. Where we can be distinct as a church is in two ways here, I think. One, we can be a church where people on both sides of the spectrum and everyone in between comes together, worships together, and united by this covenant. Where we don't buy into the division uh, that our society wants to foist upon us, but we walk hand in hand with brothers and sisters who are just really different to us in so many ways. But the other is that we have both of these things where we are uh, passionate about justice and welcoming people in and inclusivity and, and love and, and expressing all of those things, but we're equally strong on representing a different way of doing things, a different ethic of marriage, a different way of understanding gender and sex and, and holding on to traditions that are good and right. It's not either or. It's both united in this new covenant. Let's be a church that is equally compassionate to those who are different as we are rigorous in upholding scripture standards for marriage. Let's be a church that is equally committed to preserving values of family and community as we are to pursuing causes of justice and peace. These two things are not mutually exclusive. They actually enable one another. Why am I going on about this? Well, because... This is where we find distinction, because it's not just enough to care for the poor or to practice different sexual ethics or to prioritize the family or just to fight for climate, because there are plenty of people out there who aren't Christians who are doing these things, where we can be different, attractively different to the rest of society is to take on the whole of scripture, the fullness of covenant life and walk in that even the bits that are harder for our kind of personality types, and then we apply it to our lives. You see, the way of following Jesus, which has been made possible because of the new covenant, is a better way of living than anything that this world has to offer. And we need to model that and demonstrate that in our lives. God has a better sexual ethic. God has a better plan for families. God has a better justice a better plan for the poor, a better hope for the planet, a better form of reconciliation, a better vision of gender, a better version of unity, a better way to love and to live. And we are holding ourselves back if we're looking more like our neighbors or our social group than we are looking like Jesus. And this all starts with covenant. 
because we have entered into the sacred bond with God where he has given us his spirit to empower us to follow his ways, to change, to learn, to let our community and the other Christians around us shape us and make us look more like Jesus. He's given us his son. He's restored our relationship with him. And in this covenantal relationship where he has promised to be with us, to bless us and to empower us to be a blessing to other people, he calls us within that to live for him. That's the covenant that we're a part of. And as I was preparing this, I was reminded of this passage in Ephesians that says, for once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. Church, that is the calling upon you today. And that is what is made possible through the, coven- through the new covenant that was won for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. To live as children of light. And I'd like us to just spend a moment in prayer and just come before God and and work out what are the ways where we can look more Christ-like. What does the fullness of covenant life look like for me? Just take a moment to allow God to speak to you now. And that conviction now needs to be followed by commitment. Jesus has won you at a price. He's brought you back into a relationship with God the Father. He left his helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you to empower you to live for him. That's all been done. That's all been won. What we're doing here is we're just coming back to God and and recommitting, coming in gratefulness for, for this new covenant, these promises that God has made to us. And if you're here today and you, you aren't a Christian and you have been thinking this is all a bit strange and it's simple, God is offering you the best way to live. And it's, it's a relationship with him. It's knowing God the Father. It's following Jesus the Son. It's having the Holy Spirit reside in you and be at work in you and all you have to do is say God I want this I want to be a disciple of Jesus I want to follow you I want to give my life to you and discover this better way and if you want to find out more about that please come talk to me at the end or to Luke who is leading the service or to the person that brought you here Let's just, let's just pray now to, to be a church that, 
that is committed to our part of that discipleship, to, that is committed to being a covenant church that lives in the fullness of what God has won for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this new covenant that we're a part of. Thank you that Jesus' death and resurrection has won us, has rescued us from sin, has brought us into your people, has blessed us so that we might bless others, and has made us part of your kingdom that we can be kingdom builders here on earth. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Help us to follow you with all of our lives. To be all in, as Mary shared earlier. To just throw ourselves into the river of your grace and your purposes. We commit ourselves to you now. To be wholehearted disciples of you. And we do this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.